How do you get to Jesus? Or how does one get to Jesus? How did you get to Jesus? If you if you have been saved, if you have faith in him, how did you get to him? How did, how did that happen? We've, we've heard, um, actually recently, we've heard a few testimonies. Um, we've heard, we hear testimonies when people are baptized, and we hear testimonies uh, when we do uh, membership interviews, and we hear testimonies occasionally right up here when we'll bring somebody up and have them share their testimony of how they've been brought, they were brought to faith in Jesus. And uh, all of those, what we call testimonies, are the stories of how people got to Jesus? Maybe here's another question. Do you want to get to Jesus? Are you trying to get to Jesus? Or is life just fine? Thank you very much. I'm doing pretty good. Go right through other people. (laughs) (laughs) The mission statement of the River Church is something like this. Our mission is to glorify God by making disciples and planting churches that transform lives, communities, and, did I miss one? Lives, families, and communities with the good news of Jesus. It starts off with, our mission is to glorify God. And we do that by doing these other things. And, and don't, don't, fade out at the end. Don't let your mind wander by the time we get all the way to the end when we talk about the good news of Jesus. Because to glorify God means to get the good news of Jesus right. And that's, that's the only means by which people are going to be transformed. Inside and out. So our goal, our, our stated goal, is to get people to Jesus. So, we're going to look at a passage today that speaks of, uh, tells us a a, a story of a man who needed to get to Jesus, and he he becomes somewhat of a, maybe a paradigm for us in, in, in a way. A paradigm for us, and we're going to see some examples in here of what helps, what helps get people to Jesus. Um, and the, on the other hand, what hinders people from getting to Jesus? And what's our part in that? And once they get to Jesus, what is that all about? Okay, there's a lot, a lot of questions. And we may, I hopefully we'll, we'll touch on all of them. And you'll have some answers as you walk out of here today. But... Before we do that, let's actually look at the text. Let's actually read God's Word together. Um, would you stand with me in honor of God's Word? We're in Mark chapter 2, beginning at verse 1. I'm going to read this aloud, and you can follow along in your Bibles, your devices. Follow along even on the screen. It'll be there for you. Um, follow with me. Mark chapter 2, beginning at verse 1. And when he returned to Capernaum after some days, it was reported that he was at home. And many were gathered together so that there was no more room, not even at the door. And he was preaching the word to them. And they came, bringing to him a paralytic carried by four men. And when they could not get near him because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him. 
And when they had made an opening, they set down the bed on which the paralytic lay. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. Now some of the scribes were sitting there, questioning in their hearts, Why does this man speak like that? He is blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? And immediately Jesus, perceiving in his spirit that they thus questioned within themselves, said to them, Why do you question these things in your hearts? Which is easier, to say to the paralytic, Your sins are forgiven, or to say, Rise, take up your bed, and walk. But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the paralytic, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed and go home. And he rose and immediately picked up his bed and went out before them all, so that they were all amazed and glorified God, saying, we never saw anything like this. This is the word of the Lord. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you for this word. Thank you for the, the power, this powerful story um, of change, of transformation, of healing, and ultimately, Lord, of forgiveness. Lord, help us to see what you want us to see in this passage. Teach us, speak to each and every one of us, wherever we are, wherever we are at on our journey, lead us closer to Jesus today, we pray in His name. Amen. Go ahead and be seated. So, we begin this, this story um, on, right on the heels of last week's story, last week's message, where Jesus healed a, a leper, a man with a, with, a, with a contagious skin disease, and he was made clean, but the result of that miracle was that this man uh, went out and told everybody he knew about Jesus and about what happened. And Jesus was then out in desolate places and he had to leave the towns. Well, this is some time later, uh, some time later in the story, when Jesus is able to kind of make his way back into uh, Capernaum where his ministry essentially started. And there he is in the home, and, but yet the, the crowds didn't stop coming. The crowds are, are, are still great, and, and that, that same kind of fevered pitch around Jesus and his ministry is still going. It's still ramped up, and everyone's gathered together. There's no room, not even at the door. He's preaching the word to them. He's actually, the, the word here is speaking. He's just saying the word, the word which stands for the gospel. That's one of the shorthand forms of just referring to the gospel message. All of this is happening. That's the setting. We see that. That's important to, important to notice, important to observe as we're working through these narrative passages in the gospel. But then there's a little conflict, right? There's a conflict. Something's going on. And it says that they came, they brought a paralytic. Immediately we're thinking, okay, Here's another, here's another man who needs to be healed. But, but, but instead, of saying, um, instead of saying, and he healed people while he was talking to them, and, and he did all this just in general terms, we got a specific person, and he's carried by four men, and we see there's a problem. There's a challenge. They could not get to them. The crowds were so great, 
Everyone is so excited to see Jesus, to hear from Him, to hear what He was going to say next, that there's no room to bring somebody like this, somebody who's being carried on a mat, or maybe you can think of it sort of like a stretcher. Um, He's being carried by four men, so they each had a corner, and they're trying to bring him in. There's no room for somebody like that, and so, of course, we see the ingenuity of these these friends. They, They go up on the roof, they make an opening, and they let, they let down the bed that he's laying on. So it just kind of comes down. And I, I don't know what that would be like exactly. Um, they don't make houses in the ancient Near East. Or they didn't. And they still don't today. They don't make them the way that they make them around here. So they didn't get up there and pull off the shingles. And pry off the boards. And break through the attic. And, they, and do all of that. Um, most of the roofs up there are flat. Most of the roofs in the ancient Near East. Anyone ever been over there? Anyone been to Israel or um, Iraq or Kuwait? Or <laughs> I've been to some of those places. In fact, uh, a nice flat roof is a, a really cool place for a modern rock band to set up and play a concert for a bunch of troops out in the desert. Um, I know this. Um, but those roofs are generally flat. And oftentimes, in many of these houses, they're, they're, they're uh, constructed with tiles, um, thick tiles that are, all, that are braced, and you can you know, remove these tiles and replace them as necessary. And probably what happened there was that they went up, uh, they went up these, this narrow stair on the side of the, the house that goes right up the wall, and then they went onto the roof, there's a little bit of a ledge on the roof, maybe a couple feet tall, just so that you know, you know where it's at. And, and they, they went up there, they got around, they found, they went, okay, I think Jesus was right about there. Um, in fact, I hear him speaking. It seems like that's where he's at. Let's get him right to Jesus. And they, they dig out, they remove that tile, and all the stuff's coming down. Could you imagine on a Sunday morning if I'm preaching and suddenly the panels are falling down and some, somebody's... Hey, 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 we're trying to get to you. It's too crowded. There aren't enough seats for everybody. Um, Bill has to sit on the front row today. You know, it's like something like that. Um, Sorry, Bill. There's just no room. (laughs) Um, But all of this has happened. You see the scenario, okay? I mean, it's... This is the scene that's, that's taking place. And here comes this man being led down through the roof, through this opening, and I'm sure stuff has fallen down all over the place, and, and, um, and, and Jesus just goes with it, right? Because there he is in verse 5, and when Jesus saw their faith, he responded. So, a <laughs> couple things here. If you were in this situation... And you had a man, a friend in need. A friend who needed to get to Jesus. What what would you do? Well, you could do a lot of things. You could bring him you could bring him to a worship gathering, you could bring him to our church gathering, you can bring him to your missional community, you could bring him with you to a discipleship group, you know, meeting where where you're getting together and you're sharing the Bible. You could bring him into your home. Come to my home. Come and share a meal with me. And let's talk about 
Jesus. Or let me, let me share with you what I, share the good news that I have with you. We would probably do just about anything we could do, right? Would we? Or would we be like the men not in the story that are not told, they're not talked about. They're the ones who brought their friend to the house and it was so crowded, they looked at him and said, I'm sorry, buddy. It's just too crowded. We're going to have to just take you home. It's not going to work out. Sorry about that. And they took him home. Now that's not in the story. You know why? Because Mark would never write, never, would never put that in his story. Because nothing happened. <laughs> how many times, I mean, how many, do you think that might have happened? Probably. It could have happened. We have, we have friends helping their friend get to Jesus and doing whatever it took to get him there. And um, you see that. Here, here's, some, here's some things you could, you could pull out of this. It, like, this, is an, this is one of the examples of people helping others get to Jesus. They do it together. See, they're working together. If you, uh, if you have a friend that you're trying to, to reach, you're trying to, you, you, know, you know this friend or loved one or family member or whoever, a neighbor, you know that they, they, they need to get to Jesus. Um, but you're doing it all on your own. You're just trying to figure it out. These guys give us a good example of how it takes four people to carry another, another person on a mat, on a stretcher, on a pallet. They work together. They have genuine concern for him. What was their concern? This friend of theirs is paralyzed. He's been paralyzed for who knows how long. Maybe, maybe his whole life. Or, or maybe a, a terrible accident happened to him. And he's been like this now for months or years. And they go, we heard about Jesus. We know that he can do things that nobody else can. Let's get him to Jesus. They're, they are concerned, deeply concerned about what this man's problem is. They're concerned about his concern. They're, they're, they're interested in what, well, I, I would even go so far as to say he's in, they're interested in what he's interested in. I'm sure he wants to walk. He wants to, he wants to go back to his family whole. He wants to go back to his work and go back to his career. I was thinking about this. Um, have you ever had a conversation with somebody? Uh, maybe somebody uh, that um, you're getting to know. Um, and uh, they're telling you about something that they're interested in. And you're going, uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. And in your mind you're going, I have no interest in that. I, why are you telling me this? Um, I, was, I was thinking about that the other day because sometimes that happens to me. I, tend, I talk to a lot of people. Um, and uh, I was talking with, uh, in fact, I was talking with the lady, um, a lady in the, in the store yesterday and she was telling me all about these things that she was buying and I was like, wow, I really don't care. <laughs> but I heard her out and I'm like, uh, not much compassion on that. So confession is good for the soul, right? Um, not much, I didn't demonstrate much interest in her, what she was concerned with, 
what her needs were, what, what is going on in her life. I certainly wasn't that interested in my heart. I tried on the outside. I really tried. Um, but here's, here, are, here's, here's, here are friends, and, and they really are... I think they really are friends. They have to be friends because they are actually concerned about this man. They were concerned about his need. And they said, we will do whatever it takes to get him to Jesus. They will remove physical barriers. They will get over their own, you know, uh, their own stuff so that they can get him to Jesus. They will do something that's, that probably socially was, was a no-no, a taboo. I mean, they broke a hole in, in someone else's house just to get this guy in. Someone's going to have to pay for that. And when Jesus saw their faith, Here's one of the first instances in the Gospel of Mark where we see Jesus recognizing another person's faith. And it's not the faith of the paralyzed man. It's the faith of his friends that he recognizes. And so, he acts and he does something. There are all kinds of barriers. People, people have all kinds of barriers in getting to Jesus. Maybe it's they need a ride to worship on Sunday morning. Or maybe it's that they have, they, they have relationships that are, that are difficult, or they have financial problems, or maybe they've got hang-ups, maybe they've, got, they've been burned before, uh, maybe they've been hurt, maybe they misunderstand, maybe they're ignorant of some, um, some, uh, some truth about Jesus or about the Word, and, and that's just, maybe they're just, maybe they're plagued by doubts and anxieties, and they're just like, I don't know if Jesus can help me with this. We, uh, people have all kinds of barriers. We can help them through those barriers. Greatest, the greatest barriers, if I could just state this from the text, uh, what I see in the text here, the greatest barriers to others getting to Jesus is our one, lack of love for them, and two, a lack of faith in Jesus. Love and faith are, the, are two things that these men demonstrate here. They love their friend and they'll do whatever it takes to get him to Jesus. And that's, that itself is a demonstration of their faith in Jesus. Not a faith that says, I believe Jesus can do this. But a faith that says, I believe Jesus can do this so therefore I'm going to do whatever it takes. I'm not going to turn around. I'm not going to turn back. When it gets crowded, when it gets difficult, when I'm not sure what to do, when I don't understand. But they, they, they maintain that faith in Jesus and had a kind of a whatever-it-takes attitude. But check it out. Jesus saw their faith and He said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. Does 
Does that strike you as a little odd considering they're bringing a paralyzed man to Jesus? Was that what they were looking for? Maybe. Your, son, your sins are forgiven. Wait a minute. Who cares if his sins are forgiven? He's still lying on, the, on, on this bed, paralyzed. Right? I mean, that's what they care about. That's what they cared about. Isn't that what they were bringing him to Jesus for? Because he knew that he could, he could heal this man? He could heal their friend? A couple things about these friends. They knew they needed to get their friend to Jesus, but they weren't quite sure. I don't think they had pinpointed exactly what this man's greatest need was. <laughs> It wasn't just a healing, but it was forgiveness of his sins. His, in, in a sense, you could, you could even see the outward, the outward situation of his life, the, peril, the paralyzation, as representative of what was, what was wrong inside of him. A healing that he needed on the inside. That his real problem was sins. So the friends don't realize that that's really his greatest need. But when they bring him to Jesus, Jesus gives him exactly what he needs. And that happens so often with us. We, we look around. Well, I could, I'll, here's another confession. So since we, when we've been, many of us have been walking together for some time. As... Pastor Michael thinks he, he knows what all of you guys need and what all of you need to do. And I've got a list of all of those things. I'm glad you guys I'm so glad you guys are smiling at me right now and, and not frowning at me or I said, like I said, confession. But the things I think you need are pale in comparison to what Jesus knows you need and what He can do in you. My job is to get you to Jesus and let Him do whatever He needs to do in each of your lives. I don't get it right. I'm, I'm like these guys who are like, oh, let's do whatever, let's get this, because Jesus, and then I come to Jesus, Jesus, you need to do this for so and so. And Jesus says something completely different to them. <laughs> One other quick aside about these guys. Here's how you can help people get to Jesus. Do it without recognition. Do it without fanfare. Do it without being named. These men disappear from the story. Never mentioned again. We don't know what their names are. They're gone. Once this scene resolves itself by Jesus and the man gets up and walks out in front of them all, there's not another mention of these guys again. They are there simply to get people to Jesus, as are we. They get him to Jesus. Love, faith, breaking down those barriers. But that's not the end of the story. 
Jesus does something unexpected. He, he says, your sins are forgiven. But then things shift again. We have this sort of, we have this sort of, um, uh, uh, this, this, uh, Conflict that we expect to be resolved right here on the spot. We expect, we expect he's gonna, he's gonna heal him, and then ah, oh, he's gonna go out. He's gonna, he's gonna go out in front of them all. He's gonna be rejoicing. But before we do that, suddenly we hit another bump. We hit another conflict, and now it's scribes sitting there questioning in their hearts. Who are the scribes? We talked about them. They were introduced back in chapter 1. These scribes were experts. They studied the, They were like the, uh, the seminary professors of their day. They knew, they knew the ins and outs of everything. They were, they were the Bible answer mans. You were like, I don't understand what this is all about. So you, you would call up a scribe or you'd send a scribe an email and he would, he would respond back to you within about... 72 hours. And he'd tell you this and that and the other. And these scribes were very well respected because they didn't just wear their scribely robes um, at commencement exercises. They wore them all the time. And you knew they were coming. Now, here comes a scribe. Make way. Clear the streets. This guy's important. He is, wow, man, he really knows his stuff. And they were well respected and honored. And they were given the best seats. And guess what we see here? The scribes, some of the scribes, were sitting there, hanging out. They probably had pretty good seats because everyone said, make way, make way for the scribes. Oh, here, here, sit right next to Jesus. Okay, there you go. We want you to hear well because you're very important. But what do they do? They question. They, they, they're mulling over. They're... They're being, they, they have this concern, in other words, in their hearts. Why does this man speak like that? What, is, what, is, what in the world is he saying? And then they say, he is blaspheming. Well, we'll get to, we'll talk more about blasphemy a little bit later when we get to a, a particular passage later in, in, in this gospel. But for now, um, just touch on that. The, to blaspheme in their minds was to say or do things that contradicted God, that basically basically claimed to have power or authority or to do things for God or as God that you had no right to do or to claim. Because, and, and we can see that very clearly by the very next question that they have in their hearts. Who can forgive sins but God alone? The man is blaspheming because only God can forgive sins and this man is claiming to forgive sins and so therefore he's claiming to be God and so therefore he's blaspheming. Okay, here's the real conflict of the story. It's the, the conflict is not just the paralyzed man. The, conf, the real conflict in the story is this question of forgiveness. This question of who is the God who forgives? And so Jesus is about to respond to them. But pause there for a second before we see what Jesus says. What were the scribes doing there? Helping people get to Jesus? 
or hindering people from getting to Jesus. <laughs> Sometimes we, uh, we can have, we can follow the scribe's example. Maybe we're well-meaning. Maybe we understand much. Maybe we come with knowledge and understanding. And, and maybe we think this is the right thing to do. But in our hearts, and maybe even physically, we don't make room for them. We take up, we take up space, maybe physically, but maybe in terms of our conversation, in terms of our attitude. We take up space for other people. And look what they do. They are so concerned about being right, theologically correct, that they miss two things. They miss people with needs. They miss that there are people around them that have genuine needs to get to Jesus. That they're actually hindering them from getting to Jesus. And two, they miss Jesus Himself. And this was a real conviction of mine this week. As I was pondering that, I was thinking, how, how in the world do we do that today? We're not scribes. We don't have that thing going on. Well, anytime you're having a conversation with somebody who's like, boy, I, I'm just, you know, I, I, I want to, I you know, I, I'm looking to God. I'm looking to Jesus. I'm, I'm looking for this. I'm looking for that. I have questions. I have concerns. Or, or, or even they go, oh, I want to share with you something really exciting that happened. And I was reading my Bible. And God really revealed this such and such to me. And we go, oh, well, that's not how you interpret that in context. You know, oh, that shouldn't, that's not the true interpretation of that passage. Or, oh, well, I see you're wrong in this area, so let me just correct that real quickly. That's never happened to any of you. Never. You've never had that conversation, and you've never been the one going, oh, well, let me set you straight on a few things. When all they want to do is get to Jesus. They got one thing right. Only God forgives sins. And how easily it is for us to get, we have something true, have something theologically right, doctrinally pure, etc. And know it, and we got, oh, we got this nailed and totally miss the context. The people we're talking to. The fact that what they need is, is not for you to expound on some theological truth or even correct their hermeneutic study, their understanding and how they're interpreting God's Word. But to help them get to Jesus, to take one step closer to Him. Winning theological debates or being right, treading lightly, is far less significant than bringing people to Jesus. Now, is there, there are theological thing, things that we have to get right with Jesus? Absolutely. Absolutely. 
But don't be so concerned with correcting every single little thing when they're just trying to take a step closer to Jesus. How, how many of you have friends who, like, who, who give you something... Basically, they say something like, well, I don't go to church anymore, or I don't really believe in Jesus, or I don't think I could believe in a God who has people following Him like da-da-da, or this thing happened to me in the church when I was younger, or you know what? You know what I'm saying? Every single one of us have talked to somebody like that. And it's probably because they've been, those people have been talking to scribes rather than men who will do whatever it, and women, who will do whatever it takes to get them to Jesus, even breaking through roofs. That's what people need. They need to get to Jesus. And they need what, what sometimes we don't see. They need forgiveness. So Jesus then addresses that. He goes, let's break down this barrier. You're not helping people get to me. You're hindering them. Let's, let's fix this problem. So he perceives, he knows that they're questioning this in their hearts. He, he sees into their hearts. They don't, even have to, they don't even have to say it out loud. They don't even have to dialogue with him. And then he asks them a, a kind of an unusual question. Maybe it is for you. Which is easier to say to a man, your sins are forgiven, or to say, rise, take up your bed and walk? Which is easier to say? Well, I just said both of them verbally, right? I mean, I, I just said them. I, so that's not what he said. He's not just saying which is easier to voice with your mouth and form the, the, the words on your tongue. But which is more evident? Which can you judge? I could say your sins are forgiven. Jesus could say your sins are forgiven. And everyone around goes, what happened? We don't know. Because we can't see into their hearts. We don't know. Or to say, rise, take up your bed and walk. I think he's making a point. Well, it's, it would be easy for me to say your sins are forgiven. That seems, you know, you can't really test me on that, can you? You can't really... You can't really test to see if his sins are actually forgiven. You know, what you're going to call up to God. And I was going to say you can call up to the pearly gates and talk to St. Peter, but St. Peter wasn't there yet because he's, you know, hanging around watching. Anyway, not that it's exactly like that, but... Look at, hey, is this guy's name written in the book of life? Have, have his sins been forgiven? Oh yeah, okay, good. Alright, I checked it out. Your sins are forgiven. You're good to go. You know, that's what we do when we do membership interviews. <laughs> Not really. Not really. <laughs> you can't, you can't, it's, you, can't te- you can't judge that very well. But you can certainly judge the power behind rise, take up your bed and walk. If the man just sitting there going, nah, I'm sorry, I can't, then what do you do? Get him out of here! He's a witch! Burn him! Or something like that. Maybe not. Okay. But obviously he's not, he's not who he says he is. Obviously he doesn't have power to do that. But, he says, so that you will know. And here's, it, here's where it comes down to. Verse 10. 
but that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He has authority. He can forgive sins. And, I'll, and He says, I will demonstrate that because with a word, I will heal this man. And He does it. And He rises and walks out in front of them all. What really counts is that we get people to this Jesus who can do that. And if He can forgive sins, and if He can cast out demons, and He can heal the sick, and He can make a leper clean and restore him to God and His family and His place, He has authority to forgive sins. Why? Because He's no mere man. That's what they were getting wrong. That's what the scribes didn't understand. They were there ready for another debate. They were there to hear him talk about the word and what is this new teaching? We want to check this out. Let's have a little dialogue. Let's have a little debate, Jesus. And Jesus says, I'm not going to debate with you. I am he. I am the one you've been waiting for. We have a song that we sing. The lyrics of it say, You have no rival. Is that right? You have no equal? That's who they were sitting with. One who is no mere man. If you want to know the God who forgives, you look to Jesus. Because the God who forgives is the amazing, unrivaled, unequaled God-man. Jesus, the Christ, the Son of God. That's who we need to get people to. And we do that the only way people get to Jesus, which is to get to God, is through forgiveness of their sins. That was the need of this paralyzed man. It, it is our need. And it is the need of the people around us. Forgiveness. And we may not think... I don't know. Let me share this. I debated whether to, or, but I will. Um, a good friend of mine, and I think a good friend of many of you as well, had a beautiful journey of finding forgiveness from God. Um, life was kind of in shambles, didn't have peace, knew he needed God again. There was something in his past. It's, I, I knew that was true, but I've been wandering. I've been doing my own thing. I've done a lot of things I'm not proud of. And we sat and we talked about those things. And, and I said, do you know that God loves you unconditionally? Do you know that, he, that you are his child? No, I'm not, I'm not really sure about that. I don't really think I am. I don't really think he could love me like that. Why not? Well, because there's all these things that I have done. There's all these things that I've done that, that I don't think He could forgive me for them. So, brother, that's your greatest need. Until you know that your sins are forgiven, you won't have peace, and you certainly, you won't know Jesus. You won't know God. 
as your heavenly Father, as the one who loves you. We prayed, we talked, we continued to have those conversations, and then one day, on the side of the road, he had that experience of realizing that it doesn't matter what, he, he cannot earn it. He cannot do enough good things. He cannot atone for his sins. He cannot, he cannot make himself right with God. It's God who has given him forgiveness freely by his mercy and by his grace and recognized that and changed him. And I remember him calling me up in the middle of that, and we have this phone call, and he's saying, man, I know God loves me. I know I'm forgiven. And I'm like, praise God, that's what we've been waiting for. That's what I've been waiting to hear. Until you have forgiveness with God, all of the other stuff is just a rat race. Trying to impress Him, trying to make up for lost time, trying to make up for things you've done, or things you're doing. You do it and then you go, i got to do a few good things to make myself feel a little bit better. And then you do it again and then you say, okay, I'm going to try to do some more good things to make, to make myself feel better. And what we really need is to run to Jesus and to receive forgiveness of our sins that He gives to us by His grace and by His mercy. And, and brothers and sisters, we don't deserve it. Some of us think that Forgiveness is a right. Well, God should just forgive me for what I've done. Isn't He good? Isn't He big and powerful and great? Shouldn't He just forgive me for what I've done? For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Romans 3.23 And it goes on. And are justified by His grace as a gift. That means you don't deserve it. None of you do. None of you deserve forgiveness. Through the redemption, though, it's given to us as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation. That's a big word, meaning the sacrifice that takes away our sins by His blood to be received by faith. Where is faith in this story? Oh, that's right. We've talked about that already. This was to show God's righteousness because in His divine forbearance, He had passed over former sins. He'd ignored those sins. He knew they were there. He, he realized they were there. They were separating us from God. But He was waiting for just the right time. It was to show His righteousness at the present time, the time of the cross, the time of the new covenant, the time of Jesus. Jesus and His death for us so that He might be just and the justifier of the one who has what? Faith in Jesus. We don't deserve that, but it was given to us as a gift through Jesus on the cross. Forgiveness, one commentator said, and I really like this, I wrote it down, forgiveness rests basically then on the atoning work of Christ. That is to say, it is an act of sheer grace. That's what we have in the God-man Jesus. The God who forgives is a God of grace, a God of mercy, a God of yes, forgiveness. 
He forgives. He's slow to anger. He's abounding in steadfast love. We read in Psalm 32, in Psalm 32, I want to ask you, is this your experience? Read a couple of these verses. Is this your experience? Do you know this? Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity and in whose spirit there is no deceit. We are forgiven because God has removed our sins. Forgiven, this word in, in we see in the Old Testament, is the image of a burden being lifted. <laughs> being lifted off of us. A burden that we carry with us, our sins, and we will carry with us till the day we die unless Jesus removes that burden from us. Our sins which are covered, the burden is removed, it's lifted away from us, and it is covered in the tomb. Jesus has already died, buried our sins there. What do we do? We come to Him for forgiveness. How do we get to Jesus? Well, you might as well ask, how do you get to God? You get to God through Jesus. He's the only way. He's the only truth. He's the only life. And forgiveness ultimately comes to us in the cross. That is what this passage is anticipating. We see here the Son of Man who has authority on earth to forgive sins. Doing what doing something that is pledged to this paralyzed man waiting to be paid at the cross which for us looking back has already been done this is the God who forgives the amazing unrivaled unequaled God man Jesus this is who we worship. This is the one we help people get to. This is the one who inspires us to remove anything that is hindering people from getting to. This is our Savior. This is Jesus. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank You that You did not leave me in my sins. Lord, I thank You that You didn't leave me to struggle to carry this burden. Lord, I thank You for the freedom of forgiveness. And I thank You for the glory of knowing You through Your Son, Jesus. Lord, Your greatness we cannot overstate. Your forgiveness, we cannot, we cannot possibly um, praise enough. Your grace is abundant. For as far as the heavens are above the earth, 
so great. Have you removed our transgressions from us? As far as the east is from the west, so far does the Lord remove our sins. Lord, your mercy is great. Your forgiveness to us is great. And we love you and we give you praise and glory for all that you have done for us. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.